Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we conclude a series of messages on the life of Paul, the apostle. Lord willing, two weeks from now, start a sermon series on the book of Colossians. The Lord allows me. Two weeks from now, we'll start a book on, series on the book of Colossians. But this final message on the life of Paul is entitled, Paul's Pattern of Ending Well. Paul's Pattern of Ending Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and let's look at verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, the instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. In verse 6, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Gracious Father, I just thank you for your precious word, how powerful it is, how perfect it is. Thank you that it's preserved for us. Even in 2023, we can read it, understand it, meditate on it, proclaim it, teach it, preach it. We're so thankful for it. I pray, Lord, you'd help us not only to hear the word of God today, but help us to heed it. By the grace of God, help us to live it. What a wonderful pattern we have in Paul the Apostle. And he was only able to have, be that pattern because his pattern was your dear son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect pattern. Oh God, help us to be more like him. Forgive us, Lord, where we fail you so often in this life. And God, help us to live for you with all that we have realizing that this day, this day, could be our last day. And this day, we could be with you. For the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So Lord, if today was our last day, by the grace of God, help us to live like it would be our last day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here in 2 Timothy, of course, this is, is his last day letter. This is his swan song. He's writing to his son in the faith, though not a physical son. It is his spiritual son named Timothy. Timothy is a younger man. He's a pastor, a minister, and he's going through the, the difficulties of ministry, the troubles, the trials. Somebody said ministry would be great if it wasn't for people. <laughs> the problem is ministry is about people. Without people, there isn't any ministry. 
But Paul, Timothy's going through troubles. He's going through same troubles we go through in this day. He's going through people, going through the situations where there's false teaching. People are heaping to themselves teachers having itching ears. Oh, we're going through that today. The largest churches in the 70s were independent, fundamental Baptist churches. That is not true today. The largest churches in America today are teaching false doctrine, false truth, because it is palatable. It is easy to, it is easy, easy just to talk about, just believe and everything will be okay. Just trust and all's going to be well. Read your Bible and pray and everything will be okay. They don't talk about sin. Don't talk about repentance. And I guarantee you they don't talk about hell. Because that's too hard to talk about. That was going on in Timothy's day. There was false teachers outside the church. There were wolves inside the church trying to destroy the church. There was problems. There was difficulties. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these last words. You know, the last words of a person have great meaning. I don't know if you ever go through a cemetery and look at some of the epitaphs, but some of them are quite humorous. One I read was, I told you I was sick. (laughs) The other one was, raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom, and still there was love. That's rough. The other one was, I know something you don't. The next one was, I will not be right back after this message. (laughs) Another guy wrote, here lies John Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. (laughs) Oh, there's other people who had some interesting words in their life. Muhammad wrote, I don't know the purpose in life. Yet thousands, millions of people follow him. Buddha's, some of his words were, seek the truth. Confucius, I'm not the way. Napoleon on his deathbed said, I die before my time. My body will be given back to earth to become the food of worms. Such is the fate which will soon await the great Napoleon. Gandhi said, His last words, my days are numbered. For the first time in 50 years, I find myself in a slew of despond. All about me is darkness. I'm praying for light. Jesus' last words, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Paul's last words were not the words of a bitter man coming to the end of his life. They're not words of doubt or fear or trouble or trial or bitterness. He's in a prison. His trial is over. He is facing death. He is a Roman citizen, so he will not be crucified. Paul soon would be beheaded for the faith of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how did he write? What did he write? How can we understand these last words? This morning, I want to take us 
a deeper look into Paul's last words to see the example of one who died well. Because reality is, dear friend, all of us are facing death someday. There's two certainties in life. We are born. The second certainly is certainty is that we're going to die. If not for the rapture of the church, which I hope comes today, every one of us in this room is going to die. And what's going to happen to us after that, that death makes a whole bunch of difference. So we should be living our life thinking about the end. You see, a team playing football, oh, they're glad to win the first quarter. Oh, they're glad to win the second quarter. Oh, those Gators, when you looked up at the scoreboard, you couldn't believe they were winning in the third quarter. Whew, and then the fourth quarter, you couldn't believe it that they actually beat the Tennessee Vols. And I guarantee you by being at the game yesterday, the Tennessee Vols couldn't believe it either. <laughs> so a whole lot of folks from Tennessee crying their way up 75 this morning, I guarantee you. You see, dear friend, it doesn't matter what's going on during the game. It's how you finish the game. Lots of people start life thinking, oh, it's going to go well. They begin their life sometimes with a silver spoon, talents, abilities, potential, but they end their life miserably because they don't do the one thing that's most important. That is ending well. Paul ended well. First of all, we see the present, his transition. Look at verse 6 again. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This word offered, of course, Paul being a student of the Old Testament would know about the offerings in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 15 verse 3, the Bible tells us, Moses writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a sacrifice, and performing a vow, and free will offering, or solemn feast, to make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd of the flock. He shall, he that offer this offering unto the Lord, bring a meat offering of a tenth deal of flour mingled with a fourth part of a hen of oil and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. Shall thou prepare with a burnt offering or sacrifice of a lamb? So it was an animal that would be sacrificed, and there would be flour on top of that sacrifice, and then wine or oil on top of that as an offering of sweet-smelling Savior unto the Lord, the sacrifice for the sin of the people. And Paul was willing to give his life. He had given his life as a drink offering unto the Lord. David would know the same thing. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15, the Bible says, David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. He was fighting the Philistines. He found himself in a cave, and he wanted to water. He, from his youth, he thought about that well in Bethlehem, and he wished he just had just a drink of that water from his youth. And interesting enough, some of his mighty men broke through the garrison, the Philistines, and got him some water from the well and brought it back to him. And instead of drinking of that water that was brought to him, it was, was such a price, such a sacrifice to get that water. He poured it out onto the ground as a drink offering unto the Lord. And this is what Paul has said, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm in this transition. I'm ready to go. My life has been an offering unto God. I've not lived it to myself. I've lived it for Him. 
He wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 17, Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice in the service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Paul had said, I've, I've spent everything. I've given everything. I've sacrificed everything. Even his very life he was willing to give. Secondly, not only a life poured out as a drink offering, or departure, or departure. Each one of us must realize where the end will be. He's ready to end. He's ready to leave this place. This word departure is an interesting word. It can mean four different things. It can mean an unyoking of an animal from a harness or loosening chains from a prisoner or loosening a tent to take it down or untying the rope to let the ship lose, loose to depart. But so a letting go. He said, I've sacrificed everything, and now I'm ready to depart. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. Why? Because he had written earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, For you are bought with a the price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see, he wasn't living for Paul. He was living for Jesus. He was living for Jesus. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, I'm in a strait between, betwixt two, having desired to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. He said, I want to stay here and preach and teach and share the gospel with other people, but I want to go on and be in heaven. I'm in a strait between two. I'm in the middle. Part of me wants to go on to heaven. Part of me wants to stay here. He struggled with that, and I think we struggle sometimes with that too because we don't know what tomorrow will hold for us. These times are troublesome, aren't they? We don't know what tomorrow may bring, so we can't boast about tomorrow. We can't say, I know for sure I'm going to show up at 9 o'clock at the breakfast, though I hope to show up at 9 o'clock at the breakfast. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13, Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. You see, dear friend, we are bought with a price. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are not the one in control. God's in control of your life. Every day that you get up, you should get up saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? You should not live for your dreams. You should live for his dreams. And be prepared to meet him someday, for none of us know in this life how long we have. We say, oh, I'll know I'll live to 70. Do you know that? Oh, I'll know I'll live to 90. Mom lived to 90. Do you know that? Just walk around the cemetery right down the road. There's folks down there are 5 and 10 and 15 who thought they would live long lives, but their lives were cut short because of an accident or a sickness or a problem or a disease. We don't know how long we live. But dear friend, it's not the length of the life that matters. It's the life that we put in the life that we have that matters. We live every day unto the Lord, being ready, prepared, ready, for to be, ready to loose this life, to depart from this life, to be raptured, if the Lord wills. Paul was ready. Paul was ready. I think about a man that I read about during the revival period called the work of God in Philadelphia. 
There was a man by the name of Dudley Ting, along with other ministries, ministers who preached a revival message to thousands of local YMCA during the daily lunch hour. Holy, a lot different than the day's YMCA. In March of 1858, Ting preached a rousing sermon to 5,000 men at the YMCA, and over 1,000 men made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. He said during his sermon, I would rather this right arm were amputated at the trunk than I should come short of my duty to you in delivering God's message. A few days later, he was back on the farm. He was petting one of his mules that was hooked up to a machine that was shelling corn. And his shirt sleeve got caught up in the cogs of the wheel and his arm was mutilated badly. And ultimately he would die. But his last words were, tell them, let us stand up for Jesus. Let us stand up for Jesus. And with those words, Dr. George Duffield wrote to him, stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. This man, Ting, minister of the gospel, he was ready to be delivered. I wondered this morning, are we ready? Could you say with your life, if today was your last day, I'm ready, I'm prepared to meet the Lord? Could we say that? We see his present, his transition, but we see his past, his trials. It says in verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. We see, first of all, his fight. It's a spiritual fight. We're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Our fight is not a physical fight. It's a spiritual fight. Yesterday, as we were passing out gospel tracts at the University of Florida, I looked into the faces of thousands of young people that were on their road to hell. Many a woman, 70% of these young ladies, faces hard as iron, hard, rejecting the only hope, thinking their, hope, thinking their, their, their salvation is in drink, thinking their salvation is in drugs, thinking their salvation is in education, thinking their, their, their salvation is in money, thinking their salvation is in pleasure, and they missed salvation, which was right here. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God thousands accepted the tract. But many, many, many more thousands rejected the tract. Why? Because our eyes are blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The evil one, the devil, has blinded their eyes to the truth. And I was the same way before I was saved at 17 years of age. Oh, I heard the gospel. I sat in churches like this and I slept in the back only caring about what my girlfriend thought, what my friends thought, what I was wearing today and how popular it was today while that red-faced Baptist preacher was telling me the love of God and telling me my doom if I didn't trust in Jesus. I only cared about myself. I only was caught up in my sin. I was only caught up in selfishness and pleasure. 
I didn't see it was destroying my life and causing me to go down the path of destruction. But oh, thank God for April the 15th, 1989, when that old red-faced Baptist preacher got up and said there's a hell to shun. And the only way to get away from that hell is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And only by the grace of God, I heard it that day. Though I had heard the message many times, I understood it and recognized it was for me. He was speaking not to all these people, oh yes, to them, but he was speaking to me. And I personally, Marty Moon, needed to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior or I would go to a devil's hell forever and ever and ever. Oh, it's a spiritual fight. Dear friend, I'm going to say to you today, we're in a war. We're in a war. There's casualties all over the place. It's a fight. Paul uses the metaphor of a wrestler. You ever done any wrestling? Now, I'm not talking about wrestling now. I'm not talking about WWF stuff now. I'm talking about wrestling. You ever done any wrestling? Some of you wrestled with your siblings. You got down on the ground and wrestled with your siblings. You know what that's like. I wrestled in high school. Though I ran track, I played football, I played baseball, I played soccer. Wrestling was the toughest thing I ever did in my life. You wrestle for six minutes, you basically just lost everything you have in you. Because you're giving everything you have against another person who's given everything they have. And they're trying to take you down, they're trying to trip you, they're trying to score points to win the game. I remember one time I wrestled, I gave, I gave six minutes, and we were tied in the regional wrestling match, 3-3. Three, three, and it was over, and I fell on my back. And I looked up and I said, it's over. And the coach, Haley, came to me and said, Marty, you got to wrestle some more. I'd rather die than get back up. But I had to wrestle some more. And sometimes in the wrestling match of life, we want to give up, don't we? People give up sometimes over petty things, the color of a ceiling or a wall or a carpet. I mean, they give up on petty, because of petty stuff to people. People are too friendly or they're not friendly enough. People are too dressed up or not dressed up enough. They sing too much and they don't sing enough. They preach, the preacher preaches too loud. He's not too loud enough. <laughs> we give up. People go AWOL. They're fighting in a fight. The next day you look around and you wonder where they go. Or they get sick. They get harmed by the words or the actions of another person. And sometimes it's their own fellow soldiers that hurt them the most. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a physical fight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as, as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body and bring it unto subjection. Lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should, not, should be a castaway. It's a spiritual fight, but it's a physical fight. Saying no to those things that would tempt me, that would destroy me. Paul said it's a spiritual battle, but it's a physical body battle because I want to stay away from things that would cause me to be put on a shelf. I don't want to be a, a, a castaway. I want to be used for Jesus. Oh, dear friend, it's a fight. You are in a spiritual battle. There are, rich, rich, there are casualties. We are in a war. There are people who get wounded. There are people who quit. There are people who give up. There are people who die. It is a battle. But you see his following. We see his fight. We see his following. 
He says, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. From the first day he met the Lord on the road to Damascus to the day he gave up his life for the Lord, he stayed the course for 30 years. Oh, it's easy to start, but it's hard to finish. And he was humble the whole time, and that's probably why he succeeded. We read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth in those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize, the calling of God in Christ Jesus. Even if he was in the prison for the first time, he says, he writes to these, this church in Philippi, I've not figured it out. I've not got it all. I've not got it all. I don't understand everything. And dear friend, in the Christian life, all of us must stay humble. We must stay teachable. None of us above reproach. All of us must come to the recognition that we know so little. We just scratch the surface of the Christian life before we're taken home. There's so much more to learn. There's so much more to grasp. Oh, how bad it is for look around of ourselves in a church or in any situation and think we're better than anybody because we're not. Because we are today what we are only by the grace of God. You're not here today because you did anything. You're not here today because of your parents so much or because of your popularity or because of your education, because of your wealth or because of the decisions you made. You're here today only because of the grace of God in your life. And that's what Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Recognize every day it's what Christ has done in and through your life. And you've only accomplished, you are only accomplishing, you will only accomplish what you accomplish by his grace and by his mercy. We see his fight, we see his following, but we see his faith. He says, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. He kept the faith. He preserved the faith given to him to the very end. He writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Verse 20 oh, Timothy, keep. Stay with, keep what you're doing, that which is committed to thy trust. So many people had, to, had disappointed Paul in the past. Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world. For every Christian, there's a temptation to go back into the world, to go back to Egypt, to go back to the place, to find popularity, to find paste pearls, to find fool's gold, to find stuff that will fill that void. But none of those things will fill that void, dear friend. None of those things, not more money, not more stuff, not more houses, not more lands, not more likes on Facebook, none of that will. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Only Jesus can satisfy you. Demons have forsaken me, have loved this present world. How many people have left this church and churches like this because they loved this present world. A job, more popular, but no more church. A loved one in need, but no more church. A friend, but no more church. Activities, fun, camping, football, but no more church. Oh, the temporal. More soccer games, more football games for our youth and for our friends. The temporal, but not the eternal. And they end their life in regret. Through disappointments, he preserved his faith. Due discreditation, Alexander the coppersmith 
he says, had done him much, much harm. There's going to be people who are going to look at your life and say, ah, he's a fake. Ah, he's just, a, he's just another hypocrite. Ah, if you're trying to do anything right in this life, there are going to be people that are going to be against you. Dear friend, if people are against Jesus who was perfect, you and I are so far less than Jesus. Don't you think people are going to talk bad about us too? Yeah, they are. So how are you going to, how are you going to live through that? Get bitter and get mad? Get your ball and bat and go home? No, you persevere. Oh, there's going to be Alexander Coppersmiths who do you much harm. But thank God for Luke. He says, Luke is with me. Thank God for the faithful folks there may be few that are stand by you, who stick by the stuff, who are your friends, who are faithful. And that's what really matters in the end, people who are faithful. The Bible says a faithful man, who can find? What is it? Ask a question. Because it's true. Finding faithful people are few. And thank God for the few. Oh, there was disappointments in Demas. There was discreditation by Alexander the coppersmith. And he would even die. I believe he was stoned to death in Lystra, but he didn't give up. He kept on. He finished. He fought the fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. He finished. And he wants us to finish. The Lord wants us to finish as well. I was thinking of Eric Liddell, a Scottish athlete who inspired the Oscar-winning movie Chariots of Fire. He was nicknamed the Flying Scotsman in 1924 Olympics. He refused to run because the race was on Sunday. Wow. How many Christians would do that today? Very few. But he did run later that week, and he won the 400-meter race and won the Olympic gold. He says, the secret of my success over 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. Then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. After his great success as an Olympian, he went on to be a minister, a, min a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave up his life at the age of 46. You said, that's awful young, dear friend. He lived his life to the full. He lived his life to the full. We see the present, his transition, the past, his trials, and the future, his treasure. See, he wasn't just looking to the end of his life. He was looking past his life for eternal reward. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, And every man that striving for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, some people strive after those things which are corruptible, which are temporal, which is only for the now. They build their kingdoms. They think about their stuff, and that's all that they have. So some people, on the other hand, live their life for the for the incorruptible for the et eternal the things are going to matter a billion years from now they're going to matter and really dear friend our lives are one or two places are going in one or two places we're living our life in building up our kingdom or we're living our life in building up his kingdom we're living our life to the glory of self or we're living our life to the glory of god there's just two choices on the shelf serving god or serving self. Which one are you going down? Which path? Are you building your kingdom? Your kingdom come, your will be done, or his kingdom come, his will be done. Which one is it? The winners of the Corinthian games received a temporal plated wreath on their head. 
Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter, four, chapter 5, verse 4, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Oh, dear friend, if you serve Jesus Christ with your life, if you give him your life, whether you be a plumber, you live for Jesus, or a lawyer, you live for Jesus, and that's tough nowadays, but you still could be a lawyer for Jesus. Car salesman, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God and not for self. He knew there was an eternal award waiting for him. He says it there in verse Number eight, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. What is that day? The judgment seat of Christ where every one of us as Christians will someday appear for him, to him, before him, not to pay for our sins, for Jesus Christ has done that on the cross, but be to rewarded for our deeds for him are not rewarded because we did not live for him. But he said, not to me only. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Verse 8 and verse 10. He shall give me at that day, but not to me only, but to all them that also love his appearing. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to stand before Jesus. What I believe is God is going to take what we do for him and use that for the crowns for us. If it's wood, hay, and stubble when we lived a life for us, he'll have very little work with and thus very little crowns to give us. But if we live for him, we lived our life for the eternal, not the temporal, and we lived our life service and for service with him, whatever that service may be, whether it be passing out a gospel track or singing in the choir or visiting the widow or helping the homeless or taking care of somebody who's going through struggle, you're doing it in the name and for the glory of God and not for self. Your life will be built on precious stone and silver and gold. And with those things that you've done in honor and for the glory of Christ, he will make a crown that will be presented to you that someday you'll get to cast at his beautiful feet where we stand around the throne. And give praise and glory to Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I wonder on that day of casting crowns, will you have anything in your hand to cast? You see, dear friend, if your life is all about you, you will have nothing. Because your life has been built on, one, on wood, hay, and stubble. If your life is all about fun, if your life is only about pleasure, if your life is only about thrills, if your life is only about money, if, you're only, if your life is only about you, then when you stand before Jesus, your life will be wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll be burned up. It'll be gone in an instant. But if you lived your life for Christ and His will and His dreams and His goals and His plans, you've built your life on gold and silver and precious stones, and from that the crown will be made and you'll cast those crowns at his feet. I don't know about you, but on that great and glorious day when we praise him, I want to cast some crowns. When I enter into glory, I want him to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's two lies the devil tells us so often. Everybody goes to heaven. That's a lie. 
and heaven's the same for every Christian. That's a lie. It's not the same. How you want to live your eternity? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Or, I just made it. I just made it in. Oh, I lived my life for myself, and I'm so glad you saved me, Jesus. I'm so glad you did something for me, Jesus, and I'm glad I'm saved. But I lived my life for myself. Paul lived his life in the end in prison. You think to himself, oh, he's a failure. He lived in prison. He's not in the palace. He's not eating pastries. He's not, his life is not filled with pleasures and things and stuff. No, he's in prison in a hole in the ground. In a hole in the ground. But dear friend, in a hole in the ground, in the darkness, with only candle light to write these words, he is not bitter. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not writing in grief or despair or doubt. He's writing with hope. Hope. The life lived well, lived for Jesus, lived to the fullest. And he knew soon, within a few weeks, he would meet his Lord and Savior, who he lived for for 30 years. I wonder the day, if today was your last day, how would you meet Jesus? How would you meet Jesus? First of all, would you meet him? Would you meet him? Has there been a time in your life that you realize you're a sinner? You know, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We've lied. We've stolen. We've broken all the Ten Commandments, if not in letter, in spirit. We've done every one of them. We've, we've broken the law. We're guilty. And we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do on our own to save ourselves. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you could save yourself by coming to church, by giving a tithe, by getting baptized, by being good, then Jesus Christ didn't have to come and die on the cross. But he did have to come and die. You have to realize you're a sinner and to realize the wages of your sin is death. Wages is what we give, what we earn after work. We live a life of sin, of selfishness, and that causes us to be separated from God in a real place the Bible speaks of called hell that wasn't created for us, but for the devil and his angels. We're different if we reject the love of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That's where we'll go for all eternity, hell. But the good news is God committed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He communicated. He shared his love. He showed his love. He demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. Paul demonstrated his love towards Timothy for the churches, for people, for the Gentiles, for the Jews, by willing to die for them, but not just saying it, but by living it. Words are cheap sometimes, but a life lived seen in full that's what Jesus did he died he shed his blood he made the payment for your sin so you can accept that payment you can accept him you must realize you're a sinner you must recognize you can't save yourself the wages of sin is death Jesus Christ paid 
the, the debt that was owed by shedding his blood on the cross. And you have to realize you can place your faith in him by repenting of your sin and trusting in him to save you from your sin. Repentance is recognizing I'm going the wrong way. The path of my life, trying to save my life trying to live my own life, trying to do my own thing. I recognize I'm a sinner on the way to hell and that Jesus Christ died for me and I turn away in faith, placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. For he says in the scriptures, inspiration of Paul by the Holy Spirit by Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You only call on people you trust. Paul says you call on Jesus Thou shalt be saved. Dear friend, if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you can be saved today. Recognize you're a sinner. Recognize there's no hope in trying to save yourself. Recognize what Christ has done for you by dying on the cross. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I've never done that. You've come to the right place. I said that. And today... You can walk in here being a sinner on your way to hell, but you can walk out of here being saved on your way to heaven. The greatest miracle in the world is not the walking on the water. Oh, that was a great miracle. Not the parting of the Red Sea. Oh, that's a great miracle. But when a life is changed from on its way to hell, but now it's on its way to heaven, only through Jesus Christ. Would you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today? Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you've asked Christ to save you when you were 5 or 15 or 50, but you know you're not living for Christ. You're living your own life. He's died for you, but you're living for yourself. You're living for pleasures. You're living for fun. You're living for things. You're living for stuff. You're living for more, and you're miserable. You're miserable. Because none of that really matters a million years from now. It won't matter how much money is in your bank. It won't matter how many times you run down the road trying to get healthy. It won't matter 100 years from now how many pills you took. It won't matter your insurance plan. It won't matter your education. All that will matter is did you live for Jesus to the best of your ability by the grace of God. Father, we thank you, God, for your mercy, your grace. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving these folks. Oh, God, help us to live for you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. Oh, God, help us. Lord Jesus, we are in need of you. With head bowed, eyes closed, maybe someone in this room say, Preacher, you talked about someone who realizes they're a sinner, realizing they can't save themselves, realizing that, that, that Jesus died for their sin and repenting. I need to do that today. I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. I've been to church. I've been religious. Maybe you've even been baptized. Maybe you've joined churches, but you've never been saved. You've never asked Christ to save you. You've never placed your faith in him. Maybe you'd say, preacher, I need to do that today. I've been putting it off someday, some way, somehow. But today's a day. Today's a day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. Preacher, I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me? Dear friend, I won't embarrass you, I promise you, but I just want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand and say, Preacher, I need to be saved today. I need Christ to save me. Anybody like that at all? I'm not saved. 
I'm not saved, but I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? I'd love to pray for you. Anybody at all? You say, preacher, I am saved, but I've not been living for God. No, God knows your heart, friend. He knows your desires. He knows your plans. He knows your goals. What you living for? You living for you? Are you living for you? You're trying to add more? Do things more? Have more? Build your kingdom? Or are you truly trying to live for Jesus? Which one is it? It can't be both. It's one or the other. Preacher, I'm struggling in this area. Would you pray for me that I would truly live for Jesus in my life? I really want to. I'm willing, I'm willing to serve God with the rest of my life. God has showed that to me today. I want to live for him. I want to serve him. I want to give him my life. I'm making that decision today. Oh, maybe you've made it in the past, but you want to make it today again. Rededicate your life to God. I really want to serve him. I really want to follow him. I really want to obey him. Would you pray for me, preacher, that I'll do it? Anybody like that today? Anybody at all? Oh, I need to serve him. Oh, I need to serve him. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, you don't know Christ as your Savior. You don't know Christ as your Savior, dear friend, would you come? I'd love to take a Bible from the Word of God show you how you can be saved. If you're a man, I'll take the Bible and show you myself. If you're a lady, my wife will take that Bible.